This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ben. So Jesus gets two names in this passage. It's the name Jesus gets the name Emmanuel, and both of them are loaded with meaning, and they both have to do with family history and family lines and all sorts of stuff that's going on in who Jesus is. But before we get there, I just want you to turn to a neighbor or someone in front of you, behind you, and, and tell them what your name is, and if you know what your name means, and you're willing to share that publicly, go ahead and let them know what your name means. gift of God. Okay. How, how many of you were named after a parent or grandparent or other relative? Yeah, yeah, a handful of people, yeah. How many of you were given a unique name that you still have no clue what it means? Yeah, a few people, yeah, yeah. I, I once found a, a letter. I was rummaging through some of my parents' old belongings, and I found a letter in there um, that was from my dad to my mom about a year before I was born that said, I think it's time we talk about having kids. And I want to name our, our firstborn, if he's a son, uh, Christopher James, which is actually my name. And there's a whole explanation in that letter of why he gave me that, why they wanted to give me that name. Uh, and so there is something for me all the way along that I pay attention to names in, in part because I received a name that had a, a sense of meaning, at least from my dad. Uh, there was a, a, a vision for what my name would be, but also what my life would be. There is in many ways in Scripture this same type of naming that happened. People were given names for specific reasons, and some of them aren't pleasant. If you read Hosea sometime, Hosea names his children some awful things, like people who have no name, or people who have, like, it, it's awful. Um, but he gives them as part of a prophetic announcement to Israel, and later on their names get changed 
to recognize what God is doing in Israel. It's the same way if you read uh, in Luke, the start of Luke, where, where John the Baptist is, is going to be born, and he's being born, and, and his, his mom says, yeah, his name's going to be John, and they don't believe her. They're like, no, there's no one in your family who has that name. You can't give them that name. And no, his father says, yeah, it actually is going to be John. And there is this, this amazing outpouring of the Spirit on Zechariah, his dad, at that point, where, where he praises God because of what God is going to do through his son, John. It's the same way here. Jesus is given two names in this passage. The first one, the name Jesus, means that he's going to save his people from their sins. And the second name, Emmanuel, means God with us. He's going to save his people from their sins and God with us. Now, if we read this storyline, we, we encounter, the first thing we encounter is, is a teenage girl who's pledged to be married to somebody who's pregnant. She's pregnant out of wedlock. Jesus' mom was pregnant out of wedlock. Just let that sink in a minute. We normally don't talk about that. We just kind of skip over that. There was scandal. If word got out in the community that she was pregnant, wow. People would have come down either on Joseph or on Mary, but someone was going to pay for it. You just didn't have sexual scandals like that in that time period. And if they did happen, you were ostracized and your parents were ostracized. Your whole family was ostracized. Jesus being born, he's born into the midst of scandal. And Joseph, it says, was a righteous man. And he, he wrestled, how do I maintain my righteousness, my integrity, and yet be associated with someone like Mary who was obviously sinned against me? And you have the story of Jesus' life right there. Right there is the nutshell. How does someone so righteous live among a people who are so unholy? How does the righteous mix with the broken, the whole and the, and the pure with, with the ungodly? That, in essence, is the story of Scripture. How will God relate to a people who are broken and who have turned away from them? How will God interact with those who have denied him and walked away from him? How will God tolerate wickedness? Joseph was a righteous man, meaning he followed the ways of the Lord, that, that he held to God's way of life, that he didn't deviate from it. And, and he decides in this passage to quietly divorce Mary so as not to bring any public disgrace and with it the risk of being killed. He goes to sleep after deciding, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And as he goes to sleep, an angel speaks to him. He says, don't be afraid to take her. This is God's work. God is leading here. God is doing something here in this midst. Right with your wife Mary, your soon-to-be wife Mary, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife. Don't be afraid of what God is doing here. I don't know about you, but be a little hard to listen to a dream at that point. <laughs> but he does. 
Joseph trusts that God is actually doing something that he doesn't understand. He believes God. Takes Mary home. And these two names are are given in that context. Jesus and Emmanuel. And the context of righteousness and, and what appears to be scandal mixed together. But if we pay attention to the broader context of this passage, we start to understand the significance of Jesus' name and and of him being Emmanuel. Matthew opens his gospel just before this story that Ben read for us. Matthew opens this gospel with a long litany of the family history. It doesn't mention everybody in the family history, but it traces it all the way back to Abraham to say these are the covenant people. This is what God's been doing for generation after generation after generation. It actually counts out something like 52 generations here from the time of Abraham to the time of Jesus' birth. And in that storyline, if we pay attention to it, there are some kings who did some awful things. Joseph's own family history is not scandal-free. Jesus' family history is not scandal-free. There was one of the kings, Jehoram. He's mentioned in chapter 1, verse 8. Jehoram, who was the father of Uzziah. Jehoram, he becomes king, and the first thing he does is he gathers all his brothers together, and he kills them. And then, and then he lives his life so wickedly that on the day he dies, Scripture says no one was saddened by it. No one regretted that he died. All the other kings get this mention of, and they were buried in the city of David with their father, uh, where their fathers were buried. Or there was some recognition of, of they were really king. But he dies, and no one regrets it. No one's saddened by it. Talk about having a black sheep in your family history that you don't want anybody to know about. And then there's Ahaz, who who Ahaz makes a mockery of God, a mockery of, of everything religious, everything about following God. Ahaz is in that family line. I mean, this is this is where Jesus, the king of righteousness, is supposed to come from a a litany of kings who defied God and turned their back on him, and you rather not have people know that family history. You certainly don't want to be named after any of them. Warning for those of you about to be parents, don't name your kids Ahaz. (laughs) It just has that heaviness to it. The people we don't talk about. I imagine some of us have those family members too. And it goes even further. If you pay attention to this family lineage here that's given, there's actually five women mentioned, which was unheard of in mentioning the litanies or the lineages of that day. You just didn't bring the women into the family history. But here they are. And they're tied into things like incest, an affair that led to the other husband's death, there, there's all sorts of scandal all the way through this family line. And it's all being brought out here at the start, right before Jesus is born. And that's not insignificant. Jesus was not born into a family that had everything all together. He was born into an ordinary family like many of ours. Has all sorts of stories we'd rather not talk about publicly. 
has sin mixed into it that, that we're ashamed to talk about. I know I certainly have some uncles that I usually don't talk about. And I imagine we all do. Some of us may even be here going, yeah, I'm the black sheep in the family. I'm the one who feels ostracized and put off to the side. And yet this scripture text, this Jesus who was born, was born into a family just like our stories. And that name saves his people from his sins. It has to do not only with with the whole world, but it has to do even with his own family line. And here's the people who, who were called by God, called together by God, gathered together by God, equipped and, and given all sorts of benefits and gifts so that they might live faithfully in the world, that they might faithfully tell others about who God is. And here they went and lived in such a way that nobody understood who God was. And yet Jesus comes to save those people from their sins. How much encouragement for us today who are gathered here today that that if that's Jesus' family and if he's really going to enter into a place where murder and sexual sins were all over the place, how much courage and hope can we take? That maybe, just maybe, Jesus can save us from our sins too. But there's more. There's a a second name, a middle name to Jesus, if you will. His middle name, Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just that Jesus was somehow going to live such a righteous life that it would make up for everybody else. But that Jesus was actually God in the flesh. God being born among us, entering into our mess and our story, saying this distance between us and you is too great. This distance between God and the people God created was too far. God said, no more. No more are we going to be separate. I'm going to enter into this story. I'm not going to let their sins keep them from me any longer. I'm going to enter in right now into the middle of their mess. Their scandal, their brokenness, their sin is is going to be part of my story now. I'm going to live among them and dwell among them and be one with them. God not standing off at a distance, but entering into the midst of the brokenness that we all know too well. Your pain will be my pain. Your brokenness and and your broken families will be my broken families. It's as if God's saying, no more. No more am I going to stand at a distance and let you suffer on your own. I'm going to enter in and take your suffering on as my own. The Apostle Paul, writing about this later on and what Jesus did, describes it as Jesus becoming sin for our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, taking everything that was ours and everything that had marked our brokenness and our separation from God and from each other and saying, that's all mine now. It's no longer yours to carry. I'm taking it. And as I take it from you and strip that sin from you, I'm going to clothe you 
in my own righteousness. So that my own character and my own righteousness will be what defines you. It will be what changes your family history. Instead of being stuck in a family history that leads away in which you are ashamed, you now get God's family history. You become part of God's family. You become a brother or a sister to Jesus Christ. You become part of God's holiness. That is the scandal of this day. That is the scandal of Jesus' name, the audacity of Jesus' name. That he's going to save us from our sins and that in doing so, he is actually God taking us on as his own family, his own children, saying, you are mine. Some of us, we've been hearing this story for 80, 90 years. Some of us might be hearing it for the first time today. Regardless of how often we've heard this, this is the good news of Christmas Day. Not a celebration simply of a tree and presence and and fellowship together, but the story of a God who refused to be separate from us, who refused to allow our sins to get in the way and went to the point of taking those sins away from us so that we might be united with God once again. I invite you this morning to receive Christ, to receive him as your Savior and Lord, to receive him as the one who takes away your sins, to receive him as God who is really with us here and now. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to leave space in that prayer, just some silence. As I do, I invite you to to talk with God, and maybe it's a, a prayer of, God, help me. Help me to believe that you really do love us and that you really are here to save us. Maybe it's a, a prayer of, God, I've, I've been seeking you faithfully, but my heart is heavy because of my loved ones who aren't seeking you. Maybe it's a, God, I've been ashamed of your name, and I'm sorry. But take some space in that silence simply to pray, to talk to God about where you are at with him. Because if anything, this Christmas day tells us that God longs to be with us, no matter what. Let's pray. This is your day, Lord. Your birthday. And there is such joy and celebration, and we are thankful for that. But there is something scandalous about your birth. It changes everything. You have come close to us. May you hear our prayers in the next moments of silence as we acknowledge you.
Some days, Lord, we have a hard time looking ourselves in the mirror because of the shame we carry, the sins we know we've committed, the sins that have been done to us. We ask you, we ask you because of your name, Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins, and Emmanuel, the God who is with us, to free us from our sins, to release us from those things that hold us back from you and from loving each other. May you reconcile us in this day and bring your peace and the fullness of life that can only be found in you. Thank you for adopting us as your children and making us part of your family in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.